Now children in kindergarten through fifth grade who would normally go to children's church are invited to stay here with their families and preschoolers can now go down to the nursery. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Since I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a double favor. I wanted to visit you on my way back to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on the way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to ordinary human standards, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it was always yes. For in him, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us by putting his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a first installment. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I want to begin with a couple of word pictures, and I hope this will frame the conversation that we're going to be having with God here this morning. First word picture, during the Dwight Eisenhower administration, he was having a cabinet meeting. Some of the cabinet members wanted him to come down really hard on something or someone, and Eisenhower just paused, and he reached into his desk, and he pulled out a string and just laid it there on the conference room table. And then he did this. He said, look what happens when I try to just push, push on the string. It really can't go much of anywhere. But if I get out in front of it and just draw it, pull it, you can take it just about anywhere. Maybe the power is in the yes. Another picture, a sheepman. In Idaho, he's got a problem. The neighbor's dogs are killing his sheep, and you think a sheepman would normally counter such a situation with lawsuits or barbed wire, maybe even shotgun. But no, he chooses another way. It's around Christmas time. This is what he does. He gives a lamb or two to every one of his neighbor's children. You see what's happening? Pretty soon, they all have their flocks, and the neighbors are very soon containing their dogs. Hey, maybe the power has always really been in the yes. Paul would say yes, 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 because here in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about Jesus, the divine yes. He said, now that Jesus, God and Jesus Christ has been proclaimed among us, and Jesus has never been a doubtful quality, it's never been yay and nay, but it's always just yay, yes. You see, the divine yes has now been opened to us, the yes that affirms all the promises and possibilities of God. But it's not always yes for us, is it? I heard the sermon, it was years ago, and this was the title of the sermon, The Hardest Word. 
And then the preacher got up there and he put this question before us. He said, what do you think the hardest word is to say? And then he went through a series of polysyllabic, jaw-breaking words. He says, not that one, not that one. And then finally he gave us his answer. The hardest word that is ever to say in the human language is that little, small but powerful word, no. Hmm. I guess sometimes it's hard to pucker our lips and say a necessary no, but I'll tell you the truth. I've had to learn to say it along the way, haven't you, as a parent? Huh? Yeah. Right. It's like the little boy. They kept asking, what's your name? And he would tell people, my name is Johnny Don't. <laughs> uh, so it's a parent, and now it's a grandparent. I've, I, I know we have to say no because um, children don't know that the law of gravity might hurt you or that a stove might burn. But no is also, it's essential to our identity. It's how we come to know ourselves. Um, to define, it means to say no to some possibilities. We define ourselves by setting some limits to our nature. If, if there's not ever anything that I won't do, then am I ever going to be a person of character? Paul. Paul didn't always say yes. Sometimes he said no. He said no a lot of times in the letter to the Corinthians. Now let, us, let me help us here just a moment. This is more complex literature. We, we say, well, we got 1st, 2nd, 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians. Actually, most scholars say we've got four letters here. There's the previous letter. Maybe all we have is just fragments of that. Then Paul writes 1st Corinthians. Oh, there are some hopeful affirming moments, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, but I want to tell you the truth, through most of that first letter, Paul is just laying it on the people in Corinth. There's a lot of no's and thou shalt not. Thou shalt not continue your ways of squabbles and factions and foolish divisions. Thou shalt not, for if one does, then you have denied the very body of Christ. And then he goes and visits. He goes and visits, and the visit at Corinth is such a dismal failure, he's heartbroken, and then he writes another letter. It's called the severe letter. It's the last three chapters of 2 Corinthians. Ooh, you talk about peeling back the bark and letting those people have it. He goes to Macedonia. He sees Titus, and Titus has some good news for him. Titus says, guess what? These folks in Corinth, they have rediscovered their amen. And then he writes this letter that we hear from today. It's called the reconciling letter. And listen to how it begins here in this first chapter. Paul is almost saying, okay, there's been enough of this language of opposition and negation. You have challenged me and I have challenged you. You've even questioned that I did not hold my promise to come to you. But he says, look, the gospel doesn't begin there. It doesn't begin with bad news, but good news. Not with no, but with yes. Not with negation, but by affirmation. He says, this is the divine yes. That's where we start. Um, it's always with the divine yes. Not yes and no, but always yes. To you, me, to all creation. Paul knew, didn't he? 
I mean, he understood better than most. On the spiritual journey, if you start in the wrong place, just about every station you're going to come to is the wrong station. Where did he start his journey? Oh, as, as his desire to be the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He majored on not being bad. And what did he discover? He found that the powerful God life had been buried under a religious system of againstness. Anyone here maybe have experienced a bit of that? You know, after years of boycotts and judgments and hearing preachers say, well, love, God will love you when the, the, the great message of God's yes just gets lost. Paul says, Jesus is not the cosmic no, but the cosmic yes. This is not a gospel of, of againstness, but a God that is for us, key word there. Oh, now I gotta be real careful. When a minister stands up and says something like the God that is for us, I don't want you to hear me being some tele televangelist who's making all kind of promises of the things that are gonna happen because you, you believe or you have faith enough. This isn't about guarantees or surefire ways to be healthy or be successful or keep up with the Kardashians, okay? Oh, this is, this is something more meaningful and enduring than that. When Paul talks about the divine yes, he's saying that once and for all in Christ Jesus, God has said his yes to, to who we are, to our sacred place in this universe. That the source of all being has said yes. Uh, you were loved, you always have been, and you always will. But Paul says the yes doesn't stop there. He says, all the promises of our humanity, they're affirmed here. Uh, Paul believes that um, the cosmic electricity, the Spirit of God that surges through all that is, is um, continuously empowering our thriving, our flourishing on this planet. The divine yes has come among us. Not given us everything we want, but everything we need to grow full size into what God intended us to be. Do you hear the language? Not negation. Affirmation, right? So what does this mean to all of us gathered here today? Well, certainly it's something to believe in. It's something that we, we, we center our, our faith in, and we're going to experience God's yes here at the table. This is a radical, wonderful meal that God once and for all says to every one of us, yes. But it's not just something to believe in, it's something to live into. Remember, the gospel isn't just about what we believe about Jesus, it's about what Jesus believes about us. Forever telling us, oh, that we can live into this, you see. We can put our yes alongside God's yes. What does that mean for us? I think it surely means that as you and I live out our lives, individually and corporately, we're gonna be marked those lives more by what we're for than what we're against. We're talking about rescuing this dynamic faith of ours from the dull and just petty restraints that we've allowed our faith to be trafficked in. Okay. Isn't it wonderful when you look at Jesus and how he always had this way of moving to the yes way of living? Now, Jesus was very keen, had a keen mind and heart, and he could see into the 
to the darkness that was there in the human heart. Jesus didn't spend a lot of energy cursing the darkness. Now, what did he do? He, he lit a candle. He lifted up a light. Better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And look what he said about the great law, the whole law, and all that list of thou shalt nots. You know what he said about that? He said, all those thou shalt nots can be summed in in one great affirmation. Thou shalt love the Lord your God and shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Don't ever underestimate the power of the yes. This is what I found. I think some of you have found. If you have a big enough yes, a divine kind of yes in your spirit, the no's kind of take care of themselves. It's like a healthy body throwing off disease. Do you remember Ulysses from Greek mythology? Ulysses and the story of the island of the sirens? Oh, oh remember the, 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 those beautiful sirens on that island and the music that they would send out? And, and a lot of those Greek ships, the story was that they couldn't get by that island without being steered toward the rocks. Um, they were lured toward those rocks and those sailors forgot home and duty and honor and would fling themselves into the sea and be embraced by those arms that would drown them. And this is what Ulysses first thought. The only way you're going to get by the island of sirens is to find a way to say no. So what did he do? Remember what he did first? Stuff a lot of wax in the ears so you can't hear them. But what else did he do? Have his sailors strap him, tie him to the mast so he could not grab the wheel and turn it to the island. Then what did he do? He, he found a higher way. Do you remember what he did? He recruited Orpheus. Yeah, Orpheus, the great music maker, to have his own better music on board. While Orpheus was playing the lyre and singing, who would want to listen to the sirens, you say, you have your own better music on board. You have a big enough yes. The no's kind of take care of themselves. I had a friend, still a friend, doesn't live here in town. We're still friends. And he has successfully recovered from alcoholism over a 20-year period. This is what he says, though. He said, you know, when I first got started, I thought the whole thing was just, just say no. Just say no, and you're going to whip it. He said, one day I woke up and I was a little bit like the, the man in Jesus' parable of the empty house. You remember the man in that parable who just swept out the darkness, cleaned up the house? And, and what did he find one morning? The house was empty. Hi-ho, nobody was home. And the darkness just crawled back in. And my friend said, the only way I found the strength to move forward in recovery is when I began to give my life to something more than no, when I began to link myself to some higher affections. Hmm. I think about some of the things as Christians, the bigger social ills that we recoil from and with a resounding no, um, child abuse and corporate greed and racial discrimination. But now think for just a moment don't you think when we're at our best, that no is rooted in some better music? We've learned to say yes to what? Oh, we've learned to say yes to something, the eternal 
um, the eternal worth of every human being. Say yes to that. Power in the yes. I believe this too. Our witness has always been most powerful. Always been most powerful. When our witness is primarily a yes. I think our witness has always been the weakest when we major on not being bad, when we spend our energy on saying no, when we pride ourselves in what we don't do, and, and oh, most weak, when we diminish our witness to who and what we're against. That's it. I had a friend growing up, and we played ball together, and we used to have a lot of conversations. I was active in a Methodist youth group. He was in the Baptist youth group. We used to share stories about different retreats and things we'd been a part of. And one day I said, look, Jerry, I'm not, you're not talking to me much about what's going on at the church. And he said, well, it's, it's over. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm done. I said, what do you mean, Jerry? He said, well, you know, I'm kind of at the point that it just sounds like what I'm hearing is that God and Jesus are nothing more than just the big no in the sky. He said, we even have this little unofficial chant in the Baptist youth group. It goes like this. We don't smoke or dance or chew, and we don't go with girls that do. And he said, you know, I just got to the point. I was wanting and waiting for somebody to tell me something that we're really called to, we're supposed to do. Againstness. That's not much of a witness if we're followers of one called the divine yes. I don't know if you've heard of the Barna study group. Uh, it's a research group. It's kind of like the religious version of the Gallup poll. They go around and do all kind of national searching out of information and facts about what people are thinking and saying. Just a few years ago, they did this national survey of non-Christians, okay, non-Christians. And they asked a multitude from all over, all different kinds of states and backgrounds of these non-Christians. They said, when you hear the word Christian, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Here is the number one response, they said, when we hear the word Christian, the first thing that comes to mind is anti-homosexual. Now look, whatever side you're on, on the LBGTQ issue, I can't imagine somebody here at Central that would not be grieved by that having become our signature witness, that that's what we're known for, you know? Who and what we're against. I, I spend most of my hours and days in the church. I grew up in the church. I, I've worked, besides having a paper route and a couple other little jobs, never had a job other than the church. Some people would say I've been raised in a religious ghetto. But you would be surprised. I find my way out into the community. I actually know some people here in Asheville that never go to church. I listen to them. I'm pretty convinced of this. This is what I believe. There's a world out there and a lot of people that are hungry 
for affirmations, for better music. It's like they're saying to us, can't you do something more intelligent than making a lot of noise about what we're against, you're against? We know what you're against. Could you please tell us and show us what you are for? Hmm. And Jesus, it's never just little yes, little no. This is the divine yes. It's affirmation. Well, I began with two word pictures. I'm going to close with another word picture that to me is a little bit of a parable of maybe what we're called to be. Interesting story. It's this town up in the northeast. And what had happened was this railroad grade crossing had been abandoned. So it wasn't long until it was denuded of any beauty and just become two ugly embankments, sandbank embankments. And so this public-minded citizen had been riding by that every day. And so he writes a pretty irate letter to the newspaper. Then to the, um, to the railroad company, he said, can't you do something better than this? Are, are you really um, happy with having created this eyesore right here in the middle of our beautiful town? Um, he didn't get an answer. No answer at all. But then this is what he said to himself. Maybe the problem was really with me. Maybe the problem was really with me. I had not really made it clear. And this is what he did. Now, this is really interesting. He went out to the embankment and he took a series of photographs of how it looked then. And then it got even more interesting. He hires a landscape architect to do these rendered drawings of what that embankment would look like if it was then filled with um, rose bushes and shrubs and trees. And then he comes up with even a projected cost estimate and he sends it to the railroad company. Within two days, he gets a letter back and the company says, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. And this is how they close the letter. We will begin our renewal project in two weeks. I think there's a world out there. And you know what they're looking for? Uh, some better music, some better pictures. Yeah, of how an old world could become a new world. We have the power to do that I mean, as followers of Jesus. I, I believe we've always been at our best when we move from no to yes, when we move from negation to affirmation. I guess, you know, one of the hopes I have for Central, that we'll keep being the church that I think at our heart we have been. That we're going to go out there day by day and week by week and try to show Asheville what we're for what we're for, in our neighborhoods, in the places that we work, at Emma Elementary, at Haywood Street, at Lumberton, at uh, Craggy Prison, at Room at the Inn. Who knows? Who knows? Someone may see what it looks like when the followers of the divine yes work to see that um, everyone flourishes and thrives in this world. Huh. Jesus, the divine yes, it's 
Never been a doubtful quality. Not yes and no. Always yes. Yes.